the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that inspires you because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. another episode of the Made to Lead podcast. My name is Aziz. I'm your host. And today I've got Mary Adeyemi. She is joining us all the way from uh, the UK, from London, UK. And she is a passionate, people-oriented and purpose-driven woman uh, who lives out those traits in a variety of, of spheres. Uh, she is currently an experienced investment professional working uh, as an executive director at Goldman Sachs, uh, supporting the risk-focused deployment of capital credit of credit capital, rather, in technology, media, and telecom sectors. Uh, along with this, she passionately drives philanthropic pursuits. She's the founder of Visibility. Uh, so that's like visibility with she in it. Uh, and it's a talk show uh, and social initiative uh, that uh, she uses to inspire, coach, and foster a community of black women who aspire to lead in their spheres. Uh, she's also the chief operating officer of Fidela's Foundation, which is a Nigeria-based NGO that supports educational attainment for individuals with special needs and those in financial need as well. So Mary holds a first class BA in accounting and finance from Lancaster University and a master's of science and management from Imperial College. And she's also a qualified chartered accountant with the ACCA. So that's the Association of, of Chartered Certified Accountants. Um, and was a 2017 Rising uh, Star Award winner in banking. Uh, she's of Nigerian descent, which we'll get to in, in, in our conversation. <laughs> she's an amateur weightlifter, a fashion enthusiast, and an avid traveler. So, man, that's, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah, so, so welcome, Mary, and, and I'm very happy to have you on the show. Thanks for making time to join us today. Thanks, Aziz. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, so, so let, let's let's get right into it. So, as we do with with all of our guests, we want to start right from the beginning. You know, like uh, where did you grow up? Uh, who are you? How did how did uh, your upbringing shape uh, where you are right now? Uh, yeah, let's just dive right into that. Right. Um, where did I grow up? I grew up in Lagos State, Nigeria, um, Nigeria, Nigeria, Nigeria. I'm a, I'm a Lagosian as well. I'm from Lafayette in Lagos. So like actually a Lagosian, not like a borrowed Lagosian. Nice. Um, uh, so grew up there, lived, uh, lived, lived in Lagos with my family, four, four person family, mom, dad, brother, me. Um, and yeah, very close-knit, very close-knit nuclear family, um, but very, very large extended family. And that's, that was a huge um, part of our lives. I, I, I lived with my grandmother for a good number of years, going in and out of the house and, you know, going between her house and my, um, and, and my parents' house. That was a huge part of our life. And we grew up with our cousins. Um, I was one of, um, I was one of 10 grandchildren. I was the only girl um, in that whole group. And so, oh, and wow. I'm talking about my, my, my paternal grandmother now um, on my dad's side. So I was one of 10 grandchildren. And for many, many years, I was the only girl. We then eventually had another girl. But at that point, like there was probably a good 16 years between myself and her. And so that, 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 um, that really shaped a lot of my, uh, I guess, boldness and um, uh, sort of can do attitude because I had to do with boys all my life right. um, in many ways. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that's kind of a good thing. Um, primary school in a really little Maryland school um, called Abbey, uh, and then secondary school at the infamous Vivian Fowler Memorial College for Girls. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Went to girls school and then um, finished, uh, did my A levels, and then moved to the UK. Nice. When I was about sixteen or seventeen, give or take. How was that transition um, for yeah, you, so going from from Lagos all the way to 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 London? What was that transition like for you? Transition to London. Um, 
I don't know. It wasn't, it, was, it didn't feel like super crazy. I think I was actually very, very keen to leave the country at the point when I did. Um, I, I was more excited about the possibilities. I don't, I don't remember a moment when I was afraid about traveling. Um, it wasn't even a thing. I don't know why. It just wasn't a thing. I, I was really excited about, about leaving. And the good thing was I, 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 I actually moved to Oxford in my first year in the UK and I then happened to bump into two of my childhood friends who were also like down the road in another college. And so we ended up just becoming like three sisters running around and just, you know, um, and we're, and we're still the closest till today. Um, so that I think maybe helped with the transition a bit, having people from home and having friends and, and the like. Um, but yeah, I, I just had my head in the books. I just wanted to get on. I just, I just didn't really feel any kind of way about it. Obviously, I guess getting to the UK, you get, quickly introduced to the concept of race, which is not something that I necessarily lived with right. um, growing up. And then you sort of realize, oh, okay, I have this other persona, which is like black, which is not something that I ever really thought about growing up in Nigeria, in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, but I, I don't think I necessarily experienced immediately sort of any prejudice or anything like that, or at least anything I can really pinpoint as that. Yes, there might be microaggressions and stuff, but all of that now I think is more in hindsight rather than feeling that in the moment. Right. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. I remember getting my first like cell phone in like the first week that I got there, which is obviously a nice rite of passage. Um, and also getting my first job by the first by the end of the first month, I had my first job in a supermarket to do retail. And all that type of stuff, um, which I got fired from about a month later. I'm not quite sure oh, wow. why, but <laughs> <laughs> that was like an interesting, <laughs> like it was an interesting moment where it was like I got this job and I suddenly didn't have it anymore. It was I don't know, but that was you know. But I, I quickly got another one at Marks and Spencer's, and that's actually where I ended up spending about a year or so, um, also doing retail. And then I moved to university, and um, yeah, that was it. Was just very different different journey from that point on nice um how old were you when when you moved to to the uk i was 16 okay um, yeah so i was i was pretty young i mean i started school early i started primary school early i started primary school at eight um so by the time i finished secondary school and uni like or finished secondary school and did a levels i was i was still quite young i was i was only um i was 15 or so and i even still spent like an extra year at home mm. um doing computer school as you as most people do when you're just kind of aimlessly around the, um in lagos um and then i moved to the uk so i was i was i guess i was fairly young right. but um but probably quite an emboldened person anyway i mean a lot of things like in hindsight i think a lot of things could have gone wrong but i just know i'm not sure why i just didn't feel that sense of fearfulness at the time i was just like excited to be having this very different experience mm. um and i hadn't traveled much as a child um so i guess maybe that was also part of the 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 excitement of just being away from home <laughs> nice so you you ended up studying uh uh finance um in in undergrad um mm. what made you decide to choose that as as a path uh which has ultimately mm -hmm. led you to where you are right now um mm -hmm. uh being uh in goldman sachs i <clears throat> it was a bit of a process of elimination i mean you, i'm an african right so there, there are only a few options you know when you grow up that the only only a few options are presented um to me as even potential career options so either you'll be like a doctor a lawyer an engineer or you know um or an Accountant is pretty much um, what was on offer, and um, so I think I, I just remember being, you know, quite young and just doing like process of elimination. And I think I said, "Oh, I can't, I can't be a doctor. I don't like blood. Um, uh, this whole scientist thing is not really for me. So I don't think I can be an engineer, um, and I don't want to be a lawyer because I used to watch a lot of." of Bollywood movies and all the lawyers got killed. <laughs> wow. um, so by, okay. by elimination, I thought to myself, I mean, at that point I thought all lawyers worked in the courtroom, right? You know, now in hindsight, I'm like, no, that's not the case, but that was all I saw. It was like, you know, they like, you know, prosecutors or whatever. And they always got, they always got killed or murdered or something. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to die. So I, I don't think I'll be, um, be a lawyer. And Oh yeah. I kind of like money. I like the idea of money. Okay, cool. Let's go. Um, and that was sort of like how I thought, you know, finance and at least business would be something that I would, I would want to do. Right. Um, and then when I was at secondary school, 
we had um, so your primary in your in your junior secondary school, so JSS one to three, you did like everyone did the same thing, um, but like from SS one to three, you basically narrowed down and you picked like um, either sciences, arts, or commerce. Was kind of how we did it. So I ended up in the um, in the commer- in the commercial arm of school. And that was basically, yeah, how I started delving into the world of like of of business subjects and accounting and that type of thing. Um, and then realized probably from there that I had a not quite quite a natural aptitude for it. And I didn't feel like, yeah, I would study and stuff, but I didn't feel particularly under pressure when I was in school. Um, so it was just something that I, I kind of liked and I just, you know, went into it. And my dad had a huge voice in um, my career, not from a point of like choosing it for me, but he was just right. a massive encourager of um, of me exploring, you know, professional opportunities. And, you know, he didn't want to just have a job. He wanted to have a career. He, and from a really young age, he made that distinction very clear to me. Like you can have a job, but you can have like a career path that you're following. Um, and so I kind of thought, okay, yeah, and be, you know, being an accountant wouldn't be a bad thing. And he exposed me to second of his friends who were accountants and stuff as well. And I thought, oh, they look cool. In particular, his own accountant was a woman. Okay. So I think that also was quite, I remember being like, um, quite like, oh, wow, look at her. And she always dressed really well. She was this tall, light-skinned, you know, lady. And I, I think I was just very inspired by her. With my, I was like, oh, I want, I want to do that. Um, and so that was probably one of my first uh, memories of having like I guess a role model or you know someone that I perhaps um saw myself possibly becoming and so I I kind of just locked in with the whole accounting thing and yeah then when I moved here I kind of moved here very clearly with the idea of I am going to be an accountant like I remember already like looking at ACCA manuals from like even before I entered uni so I always sort of had that in my mind that that was just a pathway that I was going to go on to. And then I started accounting and finance. I mean, I was interested in other things. So my degree was quite um, weird. Hmm. So I had, account- I had majors in accounting and finance, uh, but I had minors in economics, statistics and law. So I did a lot oh, of things okay. at school. It was quite a busy, like school was busy in general, but I was interested in so many different things that whilst I wanted to like major in accounting, I definitely didn't want to lose the opportunity of doing um, doing other other things that I was that I liked or that I was interested in. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you 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 graduated first class, which is impressive, amazing. Um, and uh, did you you decided to do a master's? Was that uh, did you was there any reason that you wanted to do that right after uh, your undergrad, or did you take some time in between? Uh, and what happened between that those periods? No, I went straight in. Um, I think mainly because I was so young. Like I finished, <laughs> I finished uni at twenty. Um, I just didn't want. I just didn't see myself like just going into the world of work. Um, that was something that really bothered. Not bothered me, but I just, I just really just, I just felt like, oh, I, I've got a little bit of time, so I might as well get it done. Um, and also. You know, my parents, like my parents are, are, are of a different generation. Like my, my parents had myself, and my brother, you know, much older in age. Um, and so they were already married like 10 years before they had my brother. So we had this sort of big gap. And I figured, you mm. know, from an economic perspective, their working years, they were already at the back end of their working years when I was in uni. So I just didn't feel like I wanted to delay. Um, I wanted to delay them paying my fees <laughs> the opportunity <laughs> to pay my fees any longer so I thought yeah. might as well just get it done let's get this whole school thing done um and myself and my brother were literally were hand in hand he was at he was at um Portsmouth and I was at Lancaster we actually graduated on the exact same day so oh, my wow. dad went to my graduation my mom went to his graduation and literally like we graduated on the same day he was in the morning and I was in the evening but Portsmouth was down south from London. I was up north from Lancaster. So we just literally could not attend um, each of our graduations. It didn't matter what we were doing. Um, so we graduated on the same day and he was doing his master's at Nottingham and I was in mine at, um, at Lancaster. So we basically were just doing it together. And right. I thought, okay, cool. Let's just, let's just get it done. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was probably both like just wanting to just be over and done with formal education um, that I wanted to, but also I felt like I was just, I didn't feel like I was, I felt like I was still young enough to be able to kind of afford that extra year of, of just getting, of getting like additional um, education in hindsight, actually, I probably would have postponed it in hindsight. Cause I think I went through it quite tired. I was very, I was very exhausted. I remember just feeling really tired 
through the whole master's program. And I felt like I was always stretching myself, but yeah, I mean, what's done is done. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was, that's probably why. Yeah. Cool. So, so you, <laughs> you, you finished all this glorious education, you know, uh, at, at probably some of the best universities in the world. Um, and you now get into, you know, the real world of, of work. Uh, how, how did you, uh, make the decision to go into, uh, the investment banking space? Cause you know, you've worked at Deutsche, you've worked at bank of, of America, uh, Merrill Lynch. What, what was that? Um, what was that process like? Cause these, these are not easy companies to get into, to begin with. Um, mm. so, so what was that transition like for you into your, your first real, uh, you know, uh, grown up adult job? Right. Um, hmm, this is going to be a bit of a story. Okay. So let's go. Um, the, I never chose to be a banker, actually banking chose me, weirdly enough. Um, I always thought that I always thought I was going to work as an, like work in an accounting firm. Um, that was sort of my thing. And, and that was the process that I understood at least like if I was doing my, my classes and trying to get my ACA, I needed to work in an accounting firm to actually qualify. And so that pathway was like, I wanted to work for one of the, 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 big, the big four um, companies, either KPMG, Ernst & Young, Deloitte, or PwC. And I applied and applied and applied. And then this, I just could, I just never got in. Um, and to my great angst, because my brother actually managed to get an internship with KPMG and I was incredibly jealous. Um, but yeah, like I just could not get in. I had the grades and all of that stuff. I just could not get into any of those companies. I got interviews, but I just did not get in. Um, and then when, um, then I came through, I met um, some representatives from an organization called SEO London. Um, I'm not sure if you, they are, they are an yeah. American charity as well. So you might be aware of them. So yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Yes. SEO is sponsors. Yeah. So sponsors for educational opportunity and they're a charity that help ethnic minorities um, access opportunities in these sort of global firms. And so I met them at uni and then I applied for their program. And that was kind of how I got my first foot in the door in banking, you know, with their support. And I did my, uh, my internship at, at, at Deutsche Bank in M&A. And that was my first, um, experience of banking and honestly i hated it like i hated everything about it if i'm, if I'm being like really candid um i just hated it and i was like oh my god this is just not gonna work and then i went i left and i went back into like looking for like accounting roles and all that type of stuff but we're coming up to like graduation and um i again just could not get anything and um this is despite like having great grades um really good aptitude at school i just could not crack um the whole the whole code of getting into accounting um but anyway cut long story short i then um you know through seo again got another internship and this time at bank of america um and at which point i, I had a lot of access i think so they helped me sort of in many ways they gave me a lot of career advice or career coaching so i always just thought you know you're studying accounting you have to be an accountant and i think they gave me some really good advice about how to really think about myself like in a broader sense in terms of like what I was studying versus what I wanted to then do. Um, and so they kind of helped me plot my way into, into risk management, which I knew nothing about at the time, but I just thought, okay, let's just try it. So I did three months doing that. In the middle of those three months, we hit the 2007 financial crisis. Oh, wow. And as this happens, the only division that was even extending offers were risk and compliance. Every other division basically had a hiring freeze. So this is now a little bit of like, I guess, serendipity, favor, grace, whatever you want to call it, that I ended up in pretty much the exact division that was extending offers. Um, and so we, uh, I, you know, I finished, I got, I got an offer and then I went on to do my master's, but I was basically doing my master's with a complete fear that my, my contract was going to be reneged or, you know, pulled back. Oh, wow. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was quite like an experience. So it, it would just, it just sort of landed that way. And yes, yeah, so I got this offer and that, and that was really just how I got into risk. And I, and I got into risk at one of the busiest times for a risk manager in many, many years, um, you know, where like clients were defaulting. It was just, you know, it was just something that nobody had seen, like a global eco. And this is not, you know, now we are like in a health crisis that, led, that has led to an economic crisis, but this was actually like a banking crisis. Yeah. Um, and it, it was huge. And then I, I worked at, at Bank of America, which, you know, uh, six months or so after I joined the company acquired Merrill Lynch and actually then went into its own sort of, you know, mergers and acquisitions, whole debacle alongside dealing with a crisis. So it was, it was an interesting time, but it was an incredibly fearful time. 
um, to be young and to be in, in a new career, to be an ethnic minority, to be a woman, to be all of the things that you probably feel like, oh my God, this whole thing, I'm just not cut out for all of this. Yeah. Um, that was basically the combination of everything like I had to do. And also to be like um, an immigrant, you know, I didn't have, a, I had a visa that was sponsored by the company. So what if I lost my job? Would I like have to pack my bags and go home? So there were all these like things um, that you think about. So I, I, so yeah, so to answer your question, it wasn't necessarily that I thought, oh, banking is like my career for life. It was, it was actually complete opposite. I didn't like it at all, but it was what was hiring mm. at the time. Um, and then, you know, it just opened up a whole new world. And I eventually sort of started seeing how my, my background and my skills could really add value um, into that space. And I started getting more confident as the, as the months and the years sort of went by. And I was able to make friends and, and build relationships and get advice and mentorship and all of that. And that's sort of how I grew. And I ended up staying at Bank of America for 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, KCB. So quite a while. Yeah. So I, um, um, I ended up staying there, growing there, getting promoted, um, you know, leading a team, running programs, hiring people myself. So it was kind of like a big sort of end to end um, um, process at, at the bank. Yeah. Right. Would, would you say you love banking now? I mean, looking, looking back. I don't know that I love it. <laughs> um, I think that I'm good at it. I think that I understand it. Um, um, but I think what I do love, right. I, what I do love is the fact that I'm able to, you know, utilize my skills. Like I'm in a space that actually has an ecosystem that, mm. um, where someone like me can actually grow. Nice. Um, so I think that's probably what, that's how I would answer that question. Okay. Um, cause I, I'm not going to be dishonest about it. Like, you know, yeah, there are perks, there are things that I like, but there are also a lot of things that I don't like about the industry. And in many ways, actually, sometimes I feel like the industry completely goes against my value set mm. sometimes. Um, it just depends on the situation. Um, especially like in client interactions and some other stuff. I just, some moments I sit and just think, this is really where I want to be. Um, but I also know like, um, that you know i have the capacity and and the aptitude and the ability to actually thrive um and i've and i've been able to over the years carve out niches for myself that allow me to live out my own values within the organizations that i've worked in and that has been you know really really important to me Across, you know, along this, you know, very, very illustrious, great journey uh, through through banking, through risk, uh, with, with you know some of the biggest global investment banks in the world. Um, how have you managed to uh, to deal with mentorship? You know, because I'm sure you know throughout this journey, you, you there are definitely folks that you would have connected with that have helped you navigate some of the nuances, uh, particularly in you know in, in corporate London. Um, you know, yeah. Talk to us about some some of the mentors that you've had, or key people that have been, you know, really good influencers uh, in your life. Oof. Um, that's a that's a huge question because actually, for many years, I actually I didn't really feel like I did have mentors. Um, I'm, 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 it probably doesn't sound like it, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite introverted as a person. Um, and I so I find it quite challenging sometimes to, you know, form relationships. It was just something, I mean, now I'm, I think I'm a lot better at it. I mean, I'm, a, I'm actually a community leader now, which is just like growth, frankly, in my eyes, but like growing up, I was super like, um, introspective and independent. And I just always wanted to be by myself. So I think that, um, those early years, I, I probably, I probably could have done with a lot more advice, um, but I didn't really know how to access it. Um, I think the people that have, you know, were able to really serve as mentors for me in particular, like having being part of the SEO family, I think was great because those were just like that was a springboard in which I could actually meet people who would, who, who, who I wouldn't necessarily ask advice to, but who are just ready to give it, um, regardless. And so I kind of learned sort of through that process. Um, but I'm also one who is quite resourceful. Um, you know, I read, I read a lot. I, I you know, I, I Google everything in life. Um, and I, every question I have, there's a book that that's probably out there. And so I, I just, I just, I would just spend time reading. So I actually ended up maybe self mentoring a little bit, like with, with books, um, and stuff. And it was probably when I was, um, an associate maybe. So probably four or five years into my career that I, um, that I, I mean, I had a great boss actually starting my career. I had a great boss, but he was also someone who didn't know how to give feedback. 
um, he, he just wanted everything to be happy go lucky and I thought that I actually thought that was in a great place because of that but I oh, realized yeah. now like oh wow so that really maybe even hindered me because there were things that I could have done better or quicker um, but because he wasn't necessarily giving me like direct feedback um, in the way like it should I, I felt like I, you know, I maybe missed out on some really great opportunities to learn. Mm. And so a few years later, I remember, you know, getting um, a Nigerian boss for the first time, um, right, my first ever black manager, um, and then he happened to be Nigerian. And oh my God, what an experience. Um, <laughs> you know, I was a manager for about two and a half years. But wow, like, I don't think anyone ever seen anyone challenge me that way, um, ever, like, ever. Um, so he was like, he would literally look me in the face and ask me like, do we have a problem here? Like, don't we just have those types of conversations? Like, <laughs> couldn't I, for lack of a better word, I was like, who is this guy? You know, like it was just off. Um, but you know, I think through that challenge, I realized like he was really looking out for me. Like he was, he was making me better by giving, he was for the first person that broke down, um, you know, feed, you get a lot of feedback, but I didn't know how to interpret it. And it was the first person that literally sit me down and said, this is what this means. Like, this is what you need to do. Like, literally cut the BS. Mm. And he would just, you know, just openly just tell me what it is and the things that I need to look out for and work through. And was super candid about it to the extent that he could be, but he was super candid about it. Um, and after I sort of got over myself and just, you know, the feeling of being you know, overly challenged by him, I think I realized, oh my God, like, you know, this guy is actually really helping me. Mm. Um, and um, I, I remember just growing so much under his um, under his his coaching. I mean, I wouldn't even call him a mentor. I think he literally just was just coaching me like day to day on how to do things, and um, you know, and it was irritating at best most of the time. But <laughs> it was you know, it was, it was such a great experience. Um, and he would he would do stuff like that. I remember just that just that feeling of like wow, I'm, like I'm actually growing. So I went from complaining about him to my friends all the time to actually being like I actually just love him <laughs> I just love him that's a great uh, boss and uh, yeah I just I just I just loved him I just it was great like I just had so much time for him honestly um like uh through that whole process my, my parents knew him you know and you know he eventually um left the firm and you know all of that but we still we still maintain a really great relationship now and this has been like probably like seven or eight years on mm such a great relationship now so he was one that i really remember um and then fast forward i think what i've i've tended to do is i've had a lot of peer mentors i mean for me like i feel like mentorship is you know it's, it's generally advice so i don't necessarily feel like my mentors have to be more senior than i am sure, sure. um so i've always opened myself up to um to peer mentorship quite a bit um i ask a little questions i ask what people are doing um and i have then you know then also access like really senior mentors as well so and that they they're not all female they're not all black they're like very very different um but we've all, we tended to bond personally before we bonded professionally um so i think i've always then leaned into like people where i have similar interests or um you know you know whatever it is where there's something else that binds us than the work i think that that's definitely been something that stood out in my um in my mentor in, in the relationships that I've built like with mentors and stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, but I don't have I think I don't know. I just don't think I don't feel like I have that whole like, oh, this is my mentor kind yeah. of thing. I have a bunch of people that I um that I, I think maybe are on my my own my board of directors as the case may be that I ask about different things in different spaces because I feel like they have that experience. Um and once I get that we just go back to like being friends. Awesome. <laughs> just, you know, and I think that's kind of how I've um have navigated that. Oh, that's brilliant. So let's let's talk about visibility now. Um, you know, you you founded this initiative. What was the motivation for it um, at the time that you started it? How did the idea f- get formed, and then how did you ultimately execute on it? Hmm. Um, gosh, you're asking really huge questions today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. I mean, in the format that VB is VB exists today. I don't know the moment when that that probably evolved over time. Right. But in terms of the original state of it, um, it was a number of things. Um, but I, I guess if I was to summarize it, it was really me being at a in a state and in a position where I had started realizing um, how scarce people like me my mm. profile how how scarce that was in the spaces that i was in as a black woman 
who was, you know, mid to relatively senior um, African descent, you know, I looked left and looked right and that just really didn't exist. It wasn't that many. Mm. Um, and I realized that in my organization, like even as someone, I wasn't an MD or I wasn't even a director, but I had a lot of influence. Um, because of the, the 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 black the young the young black male and female um, colleagues that we were hiring, um, I felt like I had a voice that could actually really communicate to them in a way that was authentic and different. Um, and the firm really gave me a platform to do that. Um, and so I was, you know, quite a young, quite a young, you know, quite quite a, quite a young professional. But I was, I was, I was leading our recruitment for the entire for the credit organization in London. Mm. Um, and I was, uh, I was on a, how do we call ourselves? We we're like, we call it, we're like program sponsors. So we're basically a group of sponsors that were group of colleagues who were sponsoring, um, a program that was worth like $500,000. And that was our Africa recruitment program, but where as a firm, Bank of America was hiring directly from, from Nigeria, from Ghana, Kenya, um, and other African countries. And, nice. you know, again, I was like, maybe like a junior VP. And so I think maybe that recognition of the voice that I had, I felt like, you know, that really opened me up to see and understand some of the issues that, um, that people like me would naturally be faced in the workplace. And they were not different from the issues that I faced myself. And so in many ways, um, what visibility does and what it looks like today is, is, is me providing to, um, to, to, to women like me, the things that I wish that someone provided to mm. me when I was, you know, growing up. Um, so it's sort of my give back into my community. It's my give back into my industry. Um, but also, you know, with the with the viewpoint that I really want, you know, women like me to have the opportunities that they deserve, but also that acknowledging the fact that we do have work to do. Um, and that in many cases, many, many of us are not necessarily even ready for those leadership positions. And, mm. you know, we do need to go through the hard graft of getting ready. But when we, you know, once we are ready, we, we want the opportunities that we deserve. And so that's pretty much what visibility um, looks like. But in, like, but if I think about the moment that I felt like, oh, my God, I really need to do something. It was probably my, 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 my action call came. I was, I was doing a talk at an event actually in Lagos. Um, for the Africa recruitment program. And I was, I remember speaking to a room full of, you know, men and women and the men kept on asking like, you know, questions about the business and this and that. And the women were asking questions about relationships and, um, <laughs> and, you know, being, uh, being, um, what's the word that they used? Um, you know, someone actually asked me, like, do you think that, do you think that if I went into banking that I would be um, intimidating? you know, to a guy. Da, 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 da. And I was just so like, why are we having this conversation? Like, what does that even matter? You know, that kind of thing. So I just remember just feeling, whoa, this is exhausting. Um, and I think it was that moment I was like, oh, wow, like we need to, we need to be able to dream bigger. We need to see more. We need to dream, we need to dream bigger because if we are, and I remember saying almost verbatim, if you, if you don't pursue the opportunities in front of you, you literally cheat the world of like half of the ideas and half of the, you know, if we were to make the assumption that men and women were 50-50 in this world, if all of you are thinking like this, then you're literally cutting yourself out of opportunities. Um, and I think that was probably when I just felt this real burden to like, you know, help, you know, help women like me just, you know, want to attain more and achieve more. And, and you know, and I, I remember saying, you know, the question, you know, would they find me intimidating? And I'm like, yeah and they should like why not <laughs> you know they should because if you're doing well and you are owning your space and you're delivering value and you're doing all of those things then like actually why not be intimidated they should and it should force them to step up right, right, um, right. so i think you know, and that was probably a mindset that, that was probably a viewpoint or a mindset that they had never really encountered because they had you know you know lived with as you know as you know in in, in nigeria in particular the way, the unfortunate way like that women are still treated even in this day and age, um, you know, in particular in certain places in our, in our country, um, it really, really doesn't serve women well at all. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, so we still have significant um, levels of, of, um, of, of child marriage, of um, female genital mutilation, of, um, of rape, of whatever, like there's just so many things that this, you know, where, 
women are not sent to school, they're not given an education, um, the man child uh, or the male child is, is basically given advantages um, from, from the get-go, more superior than the female child, whether it's in terms of positioning within a household or um, you know, economic opportunities or even just the, the basics of having a voice at mm. the table. Mm. That's something that is effectively stripped away, that can be stripped away from you, um, you know, in certain ethnicities and you know, even in our, in our you know, cosmopolitan Lagos, you know, it can be super like, you can still, you will face that you know, quite easily you know, without anything. And um, you know, there are still laws in our society that suggest that, you know, a woman that she doesn't have a voice, if her husband doesn't sign something, um, you know, and those are still like in our constitution. And so, you know, I think maybe encountering and having that experience just made me feel like, look, there's so much work to be done. And, and, and yes, I was a black woman who like, who lived in like a different country, but I realized just how much um, of a burden that I needed to carry for, um, for my community specifically as, right. as not just as a black woman, but as an African um, as the Nigerian in particular. Um, so I think that's sort of where it all um, sort of started from. Then how it shaped up was just like a really super long journey. Yeah. Um, but probably one that was just like, okay, let's just start. Okay, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted, I wanted, you know, younger girls to see what other women were doing um, and, you know, how other women were utilizing their skills, their values, their perspectives, their voice. Um, and all of that, you know, regardless of, you know, whether they were married, they were single, they were whatever. So I wanted to do that. So I basically started doing similar to what you're doing now, sharing stories, talking to people, filming it. And I wanted to make sure that it was on a, you know, on a platform that people could access wherever they were. So it was very important to me that it was video, it was important to me that it was accessible online and all of that type of stuff. And so we started filming, but as we developed and started um growing you know new ideas came forward i realized like people just didn't want to just be inspired they wanted to go beyond that mm. and really understand like how to grow not that they what they knew like okay now we know we have to grow but how do we grow mm. um, and that's sort of what opened up more of the coaching elements of the work that we do um, and yeah and, and a lot of the community pieces and advocacy that has probably come um, a little bit more, be, you know, for all the reasons that I mentioned, as I say, like, you know, the, wom the woman child is just inherently so disadvantaged still in our community. Um, and then here where, where like, you know, you're now just, you're not just a woman, you're now like a, a, a black woman in, in this kind of environment. It's just like another layer of, of things that you have to deal with. And so um, I'm constantly working with organizations to help them understand um, the black female, like, you know, what that looks like. What mm. does, you know, what does microaggression look like and how can you set up policies and systems that really prevent that? Um, what does tone policing look like? What does bias really look like from, for um, for black people, but in particular for, for black women, those who have those that intersectionality, mm. Um, where sometimes we don't really know how to deal with that that sort of um, chasm of, of things. Um, and yeah, so that's, so it, it keeps on growing. I think it just keeps on growing as, as the various needs of the community evolve or, um, you know, catch catch flame or whatever it's so yeah so it's and i'm totally open to it i'm totally open to it growing and in many ways as i grow i think visibility will grow as well so as i as i grow sort of in my voice and in my strength and um and also even in my understanding of the issues i don't i don't feel like necessarily because i'm a black woman i suddenly understand everything that black women do right um, right but that's as true. i as i sort of evolve in that i think i i then realize that i have you know maybe a more powerful voice um as well that's amazing. And, 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 and kudos to you for that, for, for launching and, and running this uh, so far. Uh, Visibility is an impressive organization. It's an impressive initiative uh, based on even the things that I've seen. So, so that, that's really good. Um, I guess a, a, a question that I'll ask uh, as, we, as we wrap up um, uh, this section is, you know, as a, as a black female, uh, both in, in banking and in, in, in the nonprofit through Visibility, what have you found uh, as some challenges that you've had to overcome, uh, particularly now that you're, you know, a black female executive? Uh, what does that look like and, and how have you overcome them? Oh, gosh. Um, I think probably one of the, the biggest ones that stands um, in front of me is, actually, is, is blending culture. 
um, blending culture for me and expectations has been a huge thing. I don't think I realized it, but mm. at some point through therapy and multiple like <laughs> seasons of introspection, you're like, oh, okay, that's what it is. Um, is like I've you know I've generally been quite an emboldened person. I have a lot um, a, a lot to thank my dad for as as it pertains to that. Um, but I you know but I'm also African and that that means you know you grow up with just a certain way of doing things yeah. and then you come into the West and you know all of those things actually in many ways don't necessarily set you up for success in this environment. Um, so in particular things like speaking up, yep. um, you know, feeling like you should be at the table, um, feeling like you deserve to be there. You know, you, you hear, there are lots of things that become limiting beliefs to you and manifest themselves at work. Um, mm. and you don't even realize them cause you can't identify them. Um, and so that was probably one of the things is just blending culture, you know, um, you know, one, one that stands out to me is things like, you know, when I was growing up, I would remember things that my mom would say, um, like, uh, my mom would say, um, when, when adults, when her friends come over or whatever, they would tell you to leave the room. And I'm like, okay. And then now I'm in rooms with, with adults who are Peter and Paul and John <laughs> and not, not uncle Peter and uncle John or Mr. This or Mr. That. And you're, they're being, they're telling you to like speak up and challenge. And you're like, challenge who yeah. he's my senior. He's my senior. I can't challenge anyone. You yeah. know, there's this, you know, respecting you just, your elder situation, like, you, you know, respect this whole respect thing and realizing, starting to realize like owning your voice, and delivering value is not in any way disrespectful. Um, but you'll grow up feeling like that was the case. They'll say like, you know, you know, adults are talking and you're talking. You know, it's almost like the age thing is, is what makes you right. And you, 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 you just grow up that way. And so I grew up around basically what we ageism these days that you basically had to be of a certain age to feel like you, you had something to say. And that's, that's you know, not, obviously not right. Um, you know, wisdom... <laughs> wisdom is had by the person who had it that's just what it is yeah. um and so you know you grow up with that kind of environment i also went to a girls school i remember one of the mantras that the you know it's a great girls school but i think like one of the disservices that they did right they would say stuff like speak when you're being spoken to mm. and you're like well really <laughs> um you know and you know we used to say that all the time speak when you're being spoken to ladies ladies do x and don't do y i don't remember some of them anymore but you know we are always told all these things like it was basically like finishing school all the things that you should just but you need to be ladylike and you had to be like this and had to be like that i mean i grew up with boys though so i fundamentally yeah. was just like what <laughs> this doesn't make sense <laughs> but you know you're told that so many times and you start to believe it and then you comment on an environment that basically expects you to be um to be vocal expects you to challenge um and i was working in risk like it's actually a control function like right. my the essence of my job is to challenge like imagine if you now can't do that like how do you like it, it's just it just yeah it just oh, wouldn't that's work amazing. that's interesting um yeah. and so i having to having to grow through that and put that aside first of all to like even identify it to acknowledge it and then to replace that 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 limiting belief with something that was a lot more empowering was you know was the process um through my career i honestly don't ever remember a moment where my race or my gender really held me down and i've always said like i don't think like all women are cut the same i don't think that all black women are cut the same because a lot has to do with even more you know many more things you know myself as a black woman you know from africa i'm quite different from a black woman that grew up in britain True. um or in france or in any other country um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that we're all necessarily cut the same. Um, I think even as a Nigerian woman, I'm probably a lot more outspoken than the average, um, just because like, I just had a really em empowering, um, um, father really, who was just like, there's nothing you can't do. Go ahead and do it. What's your, you know, and, and in fact, from a really young age, ask my opinion about everything. Hmm. Um, so I always felt like my, my opinion did matter. Um, so I've never, ever felt like in the workplace that I was ever disadvantaged because of my gender or my race. And, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would even naturally allow that, but I realized like the number, the amount of limiting beliefs that I held, um, for many, many years. And I'm not going to say like, it's all like over because now I realize that it's all perfect and I get it. It's still like an everyday, you know, job. It's still an, it's just something you have to work through every day, but at least awareness is like the key um, once you realize like, okay, this could potentially be your problem, then you then know how to like, you know, put steps in place to make sure like you are, 
you know you feel a lot more empowered in various situations so that that for me is probably one of the biggest things um yeah i hope i answered your question yeah no that that's very very good very very clear um i guess final question um what would you tell a young black female version of yourself uh today Mm -hmm. Like, what would you, what piece of advice would you give to, to that very young person, you know, from 10 years ago uh, to do now? Um, <laughs> two things actually would be, um, you know, just chill, <laughs> actually take it easy. <laughs> life is long. Yeah. That's something I've been saying now. I know we also, we all, we all say like life is short, but actually life is, it can be fairly long. Yeah. Um, it's short, it's short in that you need to like, act, you need to deal with things with urgency and not be a bum, but it's long enough to give yourself freedom to take paths that are not necessarily clear. Um, and not necessarily, not, not sit still. I think sometimes we, oh, we over agonize on making the right decision to the point where we end, we end up not doing anything. Um, we want to see the road so clearly before we even take the first step without realizing that clarity actually comes in the wild. Um, and so it, it's that, that for me is like extremely important. It's actually just chill and, and be free to, um, to make decisions, knowing fully well that you will always hold the power to change your mind. Um, and that you do, you know, you don't owe, you don't owe anything to your decisions. Like you don't have to be loyal to your decisions. You have to be loyal to yourself. Right. Um, and you know, and you, you can be free to change your mind. And I think the second piece probably thrown in a lot of things into the first one as well. Um, but in the, probably the second piece is, you know, you know, take up space, um, realize like actually you, your presence, your style, your being, the words are, are coming out of your mouth, your wisdom, your perspective is so needed um, in the spaces that you're in. And if you do not, if you do not share them, you are really doing a disservice not only to yourself but to the people that you're called to um and so yeah just yeah just be able to take up space so yeah that's what i would say (laughs) fantastic fantastic well well yeah this has been a very insightful conversation very very good opportunity to get to know you a lot more and to understand your story um, and b- before we wrap up, uh, we're just going to go through a, uh, a rapid fire section. Um, so just going to ask you five questions uh, and you got to give not- me your, your best answers. <laughs> so, yeah. So just try and, and, and let's see how it goes. All right. So uh, the first one, uh, what book would you say that you're currently reading right now? The Arts of Delegation. Nice. <laughs> and who's that by? Um, oh, where is it? I don't remember. Okay. It's not here right now. It's probably in my room because I was reading it like overnight. Okay. Cool. Um, I don't remember, but it's called it's called, it's called Art of Delegation. Brilliant. Uh, what would you say is your uh, favorite uh, productivity hack or tool? Post-it notes. <laughs> Post-it notes. Post-it notes. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> I have many. <laughs> And what would you say is your favorite place to escape to? My favorite place to escape to, my house, my home. <laughs> Lovely. And who's your biggest cheerleader or supporter? My dad, but he's passed. Oh. I know. I'm sure he'll but be very still, proud of you right now. But still, yeah. yeah. Still, still, I still feel like he's still my biggest. He's still my biggest. I still feel that... I. I definitely, I carry the cheerlead every day yeah. and it, it's such a huge motivator, but yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm probably second to him with my mom, I think, but oh, yeah. Great. And if money or resources were not an issue, what would you do? Say that again, if? If money or resources were not an issue, what would you do? If money was not an issue, yeah. um, I would be a teacher. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Because I think that I am. Um, well, first of all, I think that fundamentally, each everyone should be a teacher, and we all should, you know, learn to teach. That's probably a core belief that I have. But I also think that I, um, I'm probably just naturally gifted at it. Um, and I realized over many years that I have always been the person in the classroom that teaches people homework, mm. and um, you know, or the one at work who explains concepts. 
and yeah and over the years i've always leaned into um leaned into teaching and like whether at work or um whatever and even with visibility with the work that i do on the coaching space is pretty much that you know we're, we're creating it um an online course right now and it's me actually really stepping into that space of teaching um and my dad my dad is a teacher well not a teacher but he he taught yes um he was a public servant but he 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 taught so after he retired he really embraced teaching and teaching was his own form of leadership um and i realized that i take that completely from him that teaching is my form of leadership um as well and so yeah so maybe in many ways i keep i continue to walk in his footsteps That's um, brilliant. As a potato that that element but I I do know like I'll probably do that. I mean I don't know what I'll be a primary school teacher. I don't think I'll be a primary school chef as kids are just scary. Um <laughs> but I think like I would be in an environment that was all about um you know immersing myself in knowledge and then sort of passing that on in as in a simple way as as possible. Fantastic. Uh well Mary, thank you very much for joining us today. This was a very insightful conversation. Appreciate it and I'm sure there are a lot of young black females that and and males as well that will be truly inspired by your story and will continue to of course watch your journey as you progress through your career and of course you are one of those that are made to lead so thank you very much <laughs> thank you so much for having me <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of made to lead if you enjoyed what you heard please subscribe on iTunes Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and please share with others Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show and by visiting our website madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website madetolead.co/getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead.